the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. Excited to get your uh, weekend started right with the dive into the big old bag of mail. That's right. We come to you live Thursdays, 11 a.m. I already know you've got it in your calendar because it's the same time and the same place where you come to get these locks every single Thursday heading into the weekend. And so come and join us, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're on Facebook, whether you're watching on Twitter, youtube.com slash cover three. Uh, the traditional place where all all the old school viewers and listeners have been coming to join us. If you want to participate by having a question in a future mailbag episode, the way you can do that is leave us a five-star review. And in that review, go ahead and put your question. We'll add it to the big old bag of mail, throw it in a future mailbag episode. Uh, You all know the rhythm of the season. I'm seeing the mailbag fill up and I absolutely love it. We've got more uh, great questions to bring to you. And you cannot have an opportunity with this live function of the mailbag to keep the conversation going. Uh, let us know what you think, and uh, and we will continue to uh, factor that into our discussions. So, uh, I mean, I'd, any, uh, any, any updates, like uh, any updates around the board? Uh, Tom, do we have any Europa League winners for the live people out here? Uh, I would take Atalanta today on the money line, and my other pick for the day is the under two and a half in Napoli-Barcelona. Mm, maybe we're going to extra time, each score a goal, park the bus, and then flip a coin. And you can watch all Europa League on Paramount+. Plus. You can. Absolutely. All right, let's dive in. We had a, a little bit of a discussion about the college football playoff. Um, you know, the, the way that things have gone since they announced they would not be expanding before the end of the current contract, before the end of the 2025 season. And this question from Kel uh it has a little bit of a zoom back aspect to it. Kel asks, Hey guys, love the pod. Just some food for thought. Is the health of college football better now than it was 15 to 20 years ago with the BCS bowl system? Or do you think the playoff has been better for the sport? So the, the health of college football, are, are we in a better place, a healthier place now than we were uh, with the BCS and the bowl system? Um, and let's, what do we want to say is like the peak BCS? Because I, I thought that was an important part of this. BCS starts in 98, runs until 2013. When I think about the BCS era, I'm, I'm mostly calling it the early 2000s. Is that the way that you all would approach this? I would call it the 1998 to 2013 era. All right, all right fine. All right, so, Tom, tell me, was it, are we in a healthier spot now than we were um, back then? I mean – Kind of depends on your definition of healthy, doesn't it? Like, I don't know what, 
Like if you're talking financially, hell yeah, it's a lot <laughs> healthier than it was during the BCS era because everybody's making a lot more money than they had been and the TV deals just keep getting richer and richer. As for the sport, I don't know. I, I think that's just kind of a, it's a difficult question to answer. I, I would say it's about the same except for the money. Yeah, I mean, you had a lot of different teams win in the BCS era, mm -hmm. uh, but you also had like incredible uh, SEC dominance in that era uh, that we have not completely seen in the playoff, although it's certainly continued uh, somewhat in the last three, obviously, have been you know, from the SEC. Uh, I, I, there's so many aspects to evaluate the health of the sport. Um, is it healthier now uh, for players? I think so. Yeah. Is it, you know, is it healthier now for coaches? No, probably not, but that's also salary. not necessarily related to salary for sure. It's healthier. Yeah. I mean, the, the money has exploded, uh, but it's, you know, not, I don't know that that is necessarily fully playoff related as far as the, the health, you know, the other aspects like the portal and things they don't like, those are sort of independent of the playoff. Um, I would say overall, I don't really like how the playoff has gone because I feel like it was a half measure. Right, it was trying to like like we got the playoff because of LSU Bama, and mm -hmm. because we wanted to keep all the bowl people happy who keep kept you know greasing all these conference uh, officials, they went to a four teamer instead of something that is a little more representative of the whole sport. I'll say worse because and and this is almost projecting in the future a little bit and hope but I hope we can fix it. I mean, it really feels like it's been more regionalized than ever with the dominance of the SEC coming up. I mean, thankfully, the Big Ten has produced multiple, you know, options. Ohio State, Michigan. We saw Michigan State make the playoff. Um, but look around elsewhere. I mean, it's been one team primarily from the Big 12 in Oklahoma. The Pac-12 has been irrelevant the last four or five years. Looking back over those lists, USC was, you know, in the mix, at least Oregon with Chip Kelly was there. Like, it just felt like nationally the sport was healthy. And I think it's interesting because I think if you're an SEC fan, you're probably thinking, no, the sport's great. Like, it's awesome right now. But I think as far as the overall health of the sport, I'd say it's a little weaker than it was. And the reason I ask is yesterday we talked a lot about NIL future when the pay, you know, all the, the future. And, you know, looking through our comments and listening to callers on the radio show and tweets, there's a lot of people that are upset with NIL and like, oh, this is ruining the sport. And I don't understand it. And I almost feel like if you asked a poll, they would say it's ruining the sport, but they would still tune in to watch it because they love college football. So I don't know if I pay too much attention to that, but there is a very real undertone that comes, and it's probably people over the age of 40 maybe. You know, maybe it's a little bit younger than that, but I'd say over 40, they're kind of really used to amateur athletes that are pushing back. I don't think they go away, but – transfer portal i think they don't love that like hey that was supposed to be our guy so there's some things that concern me but we had nil last year we had transfer portal last year and i think we had the best college football season we've seen in 20 years so like so there's a concern that's in the back that i look at it i'm kind of worried about it but you know I, I think we're in a good spot moving forward i hope we are but there are definitely some concerns yeah and i think danny brings up a good point there because like as far as is the sport healthier probably depends on where you are because if like you said if you're the sec hell yeah it's healthy everything's great 
everything's fine. We're making more money. We're winning. If you're the Pac-12, there's absolutely no way in the world you can argue that the sport is healthier than it was during the BCS era. If you're the Big 12, you can't really make that same argument because you've kind of just became Oklahoma's conference during the playoff era for the most part. Because if we think back to the BCS, since then, the Big 12 has lost Missouri, Texas A&M, Nebraska. It's going to be losing Oklahoma and Texas soon. There's no way in the world the playoff has been healthier for the Big 12. The Pac-12 has been shut out of the playoffs since Washington was in it. There's no way in the world that it has been healthier for the Pac-12. You could argue the same thing for the ACC, although I don't pin that blame on the playoff as much as the ACC's TV deal. So it's, it's I, I don't think, I, I, I don't know. I guess I'm coming to the conclusion, no, I don't think the sport is healthier under the playoff than it was under the I, I don't think it has to do with the postseason Format. That's what I was going to say. I, was, yeah. I think I think the sport is very healthy right now because the players are better than ever. And the innovations that we've had within the sport um, offensively and then the counter defensively, the way that it, it's become even more positionless and versatile, I think makes it a more entertaining product to be able to watch uh, for fans at home. I think the way that now uh, the national uh, – well, we are obviously a national podcast. Some people decry, why do we keep making a regional sport a national sport? I believe that is a very fair argument and an interesting discussion when we talk about college football. But the fact that uh, you can recruit from all over the country, like it's not just Notre Dame with the national recruiting footprint. It's Alabama with the national recruiting footprint. Ohio State, like everybody can get players from all over the country. I just think that the product itself- not everybody. Not everybody. The playoff teams can get anybody from all over the country. That's the problem. That's where it's like, I get what you're saying, but as far as the overall health of the sport, yeah, the players are better than ever. The problem is they're all on the same six teams. It's they're all going to the same schools. And now with the transfer portal and the freedom of movement, players that don't start out at those schools are being funneled toward those schools. So I don't it's 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 a really difficult question to answer. There's plenty of arguments for yes, it's healthier in some ways and it's unhealthier in other ways and we're just going to have to figure it out and adapt to it. It's also really difficult to separate the playoff era and the BCS era which we can evaluate separately from were the things in this era caused by, you know, the the postseason format. Mm-hmm. Like the playoff did not cause USC to make three ridiculous athletic no. director hires in a row. And the Pac-12 cannot be carried by Oregon. We've seen it be tried over the last 10 or 15 years. Like, I know Oregon fans will hate me for this, and I don't really care. They're a great two or three in a league. They're a really great three. They're, they're a solid two. But the Pac-12 cannot be a nationally relevant conference unless you have one brand on top. And we've already seen it. Like, they haven't been to the playoff in forever, and USC's never made the playoff. And yet, snap your fingers. Make a decent AD hire. Make a good head coach hire. Spend the money. And they're right back. Like they're going to be in the running for the number one recruiting class in the nation this year. I, I do really hate the four teamer, though. Like I, I know I'm not saying that's the, the all the ills in the sport, but it's exclusionary without real merit, I think. And it's just if you were designing a playoff, you would not have designed it as a four teamer. You only did it to to appease all the bowl folks. I think was that, was that the only reason? Well. I think it was one of the major reasons. I mean, I know they kicked around their models, but like the the bulls have had their, you know, their their fingers in the jar for so long that it's just you've seen how long it's taken to uh, get away from some of these bulls. Also, like let's not forget too when 
they created the four team model. The Bulls played a huge part of it, but we were also at that time, like we were hurtling toward the era of four super conferences, the SEC, Big Ten, they're all, so it's like, that was like, I can't help but believe that played a part in choosing four teams because maybe there was some thought like, hey, it'll just be the champions of our four super conferences every year. Mm, It's a very, very good point. Um, Do you, do you think that the health of the sport can be changed by college football playoff expansion? Yes. The future of the health of the sport? Yeah. Yeah, if we go to 12, for sure. Cause I, and I think it brings in a lot more players. I don't think it changes the outcome. Like I think Bama, Georgia, like the same teams are going to win the national championship. Maybe you see an upset. You know, every 10 years you see some sort of flyer. You know, Cincinnati, I think if they had a more dynamic quarterback – Maybe they would have had a more realistic chance. But you bring in the Pac-12, which I think instantly helps. You bring in more teams and more fan bases. And I do think that helps recruiting. Like, I think that's going to be a challenge. I know everybody's automatic Lincoln Riley's in. If he wins early, I think it'll help. But if you're a coach at UCLA, you know, picking up Oregon, you know, if I'm a player, I go to – I want to play to win championships. You know, I, despite Kayvon Thibodeau, maybe that's how they got him to go there is pitching the brand – but I mean, you want to go to be a winner, and if you can't even get there to the party, I think it hurts them. So, I, and I do think from the fan bases, like it infuses more passion. Maybe people are more likely to give to a collective or something else if they feel like, yeah, you know what, we can win a championship, we can make a playoff. I think, I think it absolutely helps the health of the sport. I think we touched on this yesterday a little bit too, or at least I did. I think it helps the health of the sport if there are automatic qualifiers. If you don't have automatic qualifiers, all that is going to happen are the same SEC teams and same Big Ten teams will get chosen and a few other teams from other conferences, and it's just going to continue to alienate most of the country who's not getting chosen for the playoff. You're cool with the six, though, right? You don't want all like you the the model they came up with yeah. was pretty solid, right? The six highest ranked, you know, highest yeah. ranked group I, of five. Yeah, I think it just makes sense. The five power five champs, the top group of five team, and then six at largest. I think but, that just makes too much sense not to say yes to. But, but there's had the potential. They didn't have power five automatic. It was the highest six conference champions regardless of level which you would assume it's probably yeah but it's there's got to be the pac-12 team team has three losses it could get a little dicey but you Mm -hmm. would think they would put them over a mountain west champ or you know yeah i mean i think that i think you're right in that the odds of two group of five teams being ranked higher than a couple power five champions in any given year is going to be so kind of rare that it's really not that big of a deal. But I think optically, like power five conferences will push back against the idea. Yes. CFP and on in the future, the win by the three loss team was so impressive. We're going to jump them 15 spots ahead of the Mountain West champion to make sure that our Pac-12 champion makes it in on an automatic where I'm assuming the team they beat also ends up getting an at-large scenario. Because that's that's what we're talking about. And the, the real difference between the uh, Power 5 automatically all get their conference champs in and the 6th highest ranked conference champs period is the scenario where there is an upset in the conference championship game and there are also a Sunbelt, an American a Mountain West champion that are out there that are ranked higher, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. And if you, there's the other thing too, like if you have a problem, like an, a three loss Pac-12 team getting an automatic bid, like people will be like, oh, that shouldn't happen. If you have a problem with a three loss team being in the playoff, then you shouldn't want a 12 team playoff anyway, because guess what? There are going to be three loss teams getting it. Oh, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. There, there's three lost teams up in the top 10, top 12 uh, at the end of every single season. Okay. Um, but I, I think that the sport's in good hands here on the cover three podcast. You know, we're just, we're just going to continue to, you, you know what you need, the medicine that you need. It's here on the cover three podcast. That'll keep college football healthy. Uh, a little, another question, a um, little bit more abstract, abstract, not uh, a single answer that I think is, uh, is correct. Except for Tom's, I'm sure. Uh, Jeff asks, what makes a college football game good? A lot of analysts and media members said that Red River last year was one of the best games of the year. After rewatching it, my biggest takeaway was the sloppy play, the missed tackles, the lack of physicality on both lines of scrimmage. To me, a good game is more about the execution and talent and less about the closeness of the score or a lot of points. Thanks for all the content and go dogs. Sorry, I meant go national champion dogs. Jeff. Georgia fan hating on the Big 12. Not physical enough. Shocker. I mean, that is that's on the nose type analysis there. From Jeff. I wonder I wonder if he liked the uh, the Rose Bowl, which they beat Oklahoma in overtime, which was all kind of offense all over the place. Lots of good tackling. <laughs> what makes game. a game good? Like Danny, what makes a college football game good? To oh, you? I think it's a, I think it like when he brought up the Red River uh, rivalry game. I thought that game was awesome because I think rivalry matters. Like you, I, I'm into the whole big picture. Like mm-hmm. you want rivalry fa- atmosphere. Like what kind of fan support are you getting? Because trust me, when I was cutting my teeth, I called some great Mac games and Maction was in. The, you know, but it was freezing out. There were like four thousand people in the stands. I was like, man, you can have this game. I'll take another game any time of the week. No offense. Um, so I think that matters, but I also think a healthy balance of both. Like I want to see good offensive play. I'd like to see good defensive plays made as well. I'd love to see good quarterback play. Uh, and I think for me, what always draws me in is a game that you don't know the finish in the fourth quarter. Like mm-hmm. it's got to be up for grabs with lead changes, you know, whatever else you want to um, go to it. That's why I thought the NFL playoffs uh, were insane after they got past the first round because I thought they delivered on a lot of those uh, you know, like my standard for what you look for, I think would be there. I yeah, I like go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I what you said with lead change is right where my argument starts, which is I want to see punch counter punch. I want I want to see the exchange. I, I want to have different rounds go to different fighters. I, I want to be able to see the adjustments at halftime. It doesn't need to be a last second finish. You might kneel it out, but if we've had those changes, um. Uh, in if you've got those lead changes, if you've got that punch counter punch, if you've got the the real battle going on between both teams, I don't care whether it's Iowa, Wisconsin, or whether it's the Red River. Th- there are different ways that you can have that kind of competition because that, to me, is what makes a game good. Is when the competition is really really good. You can have lesser talent produce a really good football game. You can have. Uh, both rosters and both starting lineups filled with future NFL draft picks and have a good game or a bad game. But to me, a college football game is good. And I find myself compelled and intrigued when you have that back and forth shifting 
of, of who's who's got the game in hand. They're letting go of the rope a little bit. Uh, so much about it needs to be a back and forth between the two teams. That's probably the at the core of what my argument would be. Yeah, I think Chip and everybody really nailed it. Like, I don't need to have lead changes. I need to have, like, win probability changes. I don't mean to get nerdy here, but, like, okay, if you get down in the red zone and it looks like you're going to take the lead and instead you have to settle for a field goal or, you know, like you actually get stopped or have a turnover. Yeah, exactly. Like, there needs to be the threat of of a lead change that the game probably needs to be in the balance with, you know, 15 minutes left, I, I would say. I don't want guys running wide ass open unless they've been, you know, schemed that way. Like not just horrendous coverage busts, you know, which you had some of both in Red River. Uh, to be fair, I don't really enjoy the extreme defensive slugfest in the sport of college football, mainly because it's not that hard to score points if you're well coached and you're executing. The rules really do favor scoring some points, so. Like you could tell me, hey, you know, nine six was a great defensive game. That's also legitimately bad offense in almost bad any quarterback instance. play. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I don't remember the last time that I really, really enjoyed a game with fewer than thirty points total. Right, not per team, but just overall. Like, f- find me a game that that has fewer than thirty points total, and I'll find you a game with some really poor quarterback play and just bad offensive execution. In addition to probably really good defensive play. I enjoyed the hell out of Wisconsin Penn State last year. I don't think that got over thirty. <laughs> no, but that 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 did have some fun stuff, like incredible, mm-hmm. you know, like good long long drives, and then just horrendous red zone turnovers. I'll say that. Oh, go ahead, Danny. No, I was just gonna say because I've had some fun with this asking people, like asking fans of teams, if you were, let's say, you were a Georgia fan, you ponied up all this money out to watch the game versus Alabama. Would you rather see a completely dominant, you know, 41 to 14 blowout? Or would you rather be on the edge of your seat, like, you know, just sweating it out all game and you win late? And I was surprised how many people say just like, because I would be like, I would be upset if I shelled out a bunch of money, not upset, but I wouldn't feel as fulfilled if it was 41, 14 and be like, ah, I kind of want to see a good game. And a lot of Georgia fans are like, nope, I don't care. Like, we got the championship. You know, like, that's how far I'll go. Because I've always wanted, like, I have a buddy that's a Bama fan that has been to, like, for, four, like, I would say since he was a kid. He's in his 40s. Since he was, like, 13, he hasn't missed an Alabama home game. I'm like, does that get fun? Like, what? Like, is it still fun for you to watch them, you know, in every game, not just LSU, every single game when they're blowing out opponents like yeah we love it i'm like i don't i that's not me like i need to see and i think that does speak to why saban is calling out students like hey we need to stick around we need to make sure we get good atmospheres when we are a 30 point favorite so i always thought that was interesting because some fans are like i don't care i just want to win and even as a fan of my home team i still enjoy a game more if it's close and hard fought i I think the only time you can ever really enjoy a blowout is when it's your team doing the blowing out yeah. Yeah. So as an Illini and a Bears fan, every couple of years I get to really enjoy a football game. But I, when they play an FCS team, or yeah, it's like yeah. Every, that one week every September, it's like, whoa, this game's awesome. But I, I think honestly, I, I agree with you guys on most everything that you've said as far as what makes a good game. Like you want there to be some kind of jeopardy for either side at the end of the game and drama and that kind of stuff. And especially with college, like if you're turning into a college football game expecting precise and perfect play, then you're watching the wrong sport because it's college football. There's going to be mistakes made all the freaking time. And a lot of the mistakes are, you know, they're 
they're not flaws as much as they're part of, you know, they're a dis- what's the, what's the saying I'm thinking of They're a feature, not a flaw. And they make the game more entertaining and fun. And they provide that kind of jeopardy and drama and that kind of swing. I will say to the other side, I can enjoy most games, but what kills a game for me is officiating. Like the over review, like reviewing everything or just terrible calls. Like an official can ruin a football yeah. game for me quicker than anything, like a blown coverage or a missed tackle or a bad play. Just sitting, spending 10 minutes trying to figure out whether it was targeting or just missing blatant calls or just like needless pass interference penalties and that kind of stuff. That ruins a game far more than anything for me. Uh, Jordan brought up an interesting thing. He said, open, open the dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, ideal weather conditions to see a good game. If I'm in the stadium, roof closed, 75 degrees. <laughs> if I'm watching on TV, whatever makes the game fun. Like whether it's like we've seen games in rainstorms, you know, like Brian Kelly throwing 80 times into a hurricane, <laughs> snow game, stuff like that. Just because like when you watch, like how much football do we watch in a week? Like I understand oh, so that, Yeah, I understand that we're not like the normal target of a person who's watching college football. Like they might watch two or three games, whereas the, us, we're watching like a thousand games. <laughs> But just like anything like that that makes it different is always going to be fun to me. So like a game in snow might be a terrible football game as far as the actual play. But just seeing it, it's like, (laughs) this is different. This is fun. I enjoy this. Kind of like the Illinois-Penn State going to nine overtimes. It was a terrible football game, but it was different and fun because of it. Football is a really silly sport at its core, right? I mean, just trying to get 11 human beings to all be on the same page, go run around fast, follow instructions, and you're asking college kids to do it? Amazing. (laughs) We can get any yards, get any kind of play going. Um, I'm with you, Tom. They're not like we are talking about paying them down the line because of the way the sport has exploded and the money in the sport. There's still 18 to 22 year olds that are out there being asked to to function at a fast pace um, in a high pressure environment. All right, we've got a question from Billy in the chat about Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame, and we will get to that with a specific eye on Notre Dame's big opener next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So in a previous mailbag episode, we got a question asking for us to um, grade and provide some analysis for Marcus Freeman's staff hires. In doing so, we took a look at Notre Dame's upcoming schedule. And I think that if I remember correctly, please correct me if I'm wrong, we we had the general assumption that this is going to be a really good team it's probably going to take three losses, you know, pro- probably just because of the strength of the schedule, what we've seen from USC or what we assume is going to happen with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams arrival. You know, you break it down and you're like, man, they could be one of the better, you know, top 10, top 12 teams in the country from a power rating standpoint and still find themselves with a couple of losses. Well, woo, that, uh, that's, that's, that's not what, uh, our, our good listener wants. He says, give me a reason. Why shouldn't, Notre Dame beat Ohio State. Oh, by the way, season opener, September 3rd, Notre Dame against Ohio State. Why shouldn't Notre Dame beat Ohio State? The pass rush versus C.J. Stroud is in our favor. They have better receivers than our secondary, but our O-line, Notre Dame's O-line, is going to be elite. Tell me why Notre Dame shouldn't, let's say why Notre Dame shouldn't expect to beat Notre Dame. I mean, to beat Ohio State. Well, I, I I think Ohio State has better players at most positions. They also are playing the game in the horseshoe. Mm-hmm. They have a better coaching staff, a more experienced coaching staff, mm-hmm. and are generally uh, – they were a better team last year, and I think that the gap is only going to grow from 2021 to 2022. If you want to get position-specific, um, you lose your top two receivers, right, in Kevin Austin and Avery Davis – you also lose Kyron Williams, who, you know, they threw the ball 47 times last year. He mm-hmm. caught 42 of them. That's that's a lot of important targets. Now, you do have Braden Lindsey, who you could argue was one of your top two receivers last year. I mean, certainly in that top three. And you have Michael Mayer coming back, who is one of the best tight ends in the country, right? He, he did not go go pro. Um, you know, you get a decent bit of your offensive line back. I agree. It will be nasty. So will Ohio State's. Uh, you lose a lot at nose guard for Notre Dame in, you know, Amosa and – Oh, shoot, who's the, uh, the other dude's name? Um, Hamilton. Uh, Heinish oh. uh, it, in the middle. So, I mean, that's probably 900 snaps that you lose there at nose guard. That's kind of tough. You lose a good bit at linebacker. You lose Kyle Hamilton. You lose Houston Griffith. Uh, you, you get Brandon Joseph. You do. Do you yeah. have the cover guys, you think, to ha- to handle Ohio State? Does I don't anybody? No, not really. <laughs> Great question. <laughs> now, I think Notre Dame is a really good team. I think they'll be favored in either 10 or 11 games. This is the one game in which I don't think they'll be a favorite. I think they'll be uh, somewhere between like a 12 to 17-point underdog. Whoa. Yeah, like Notre Dame can beat Ohio State, just like Oregon went into Columbus and beat Ohio State last year. It's just that is not the most likely outcome. And it's especially like, but kind of hit all the key points. Like Notre Dame is going to be a good Sorry. team, but there's <laughs> there's so much. Like we have a new coaching staff. Like we've got a new head coach. It'll be his very first game as a head coach at this level, kind of putting this together. We have no idea how that's going to look. You have a new coaching staff working together in spring, summer, fall camp. That can only prepare you so much from being on the sideline as the game's going on, having to make all these decisions especially when you're facing an opponent that that is that good and could quickly put you in a hole that you cannot come out of. So, yeah, Notre Dame can win out beat Ohio State. It's just I don't think they're going to. And a new quarterback. 
we, yeah. we forgot yeah. to mention, right? That's Danny. That's what I was going with. Yeah. And we don't even know who the quarterback is going to be, if it's Buckner or Pine. So I think there's still going to be a quarterback competition this spring. But just the fact that it's going to be their first start as the starter in the shoe, I mean, that's enough right there. I mean, if you just told me a new coach, new quarterback, even though it is a carryover with all of them, with Freeman and the quarterbacks having a little bit of playing time, I'd say good luck with all the returning mm-hmm. offensive firepower that Ohio State has. Ohio State could lose this game for Ohio State reasons. It would be Ohio State playing down to Notre Dame, I think more so than me thinking that Notre Dame will play up. I think it's possible that this Buckeyes team could come out first game, ton of uh, hype expectations. You'll think about like, obviously the, the finale, the record setting Rose bowl, Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be one of the superstars, CJ Stroud Heisman trophy. I mean, there's just going to be a lot around this Buckeyes team. Is it possible that they could come out, play a little bit tight? Notre Dame comes in playing loose. Uh, Absolutely. But I think that if Notre Dame, if, if I'm speaking to the Notre Dame fan who clearly thought that we were dismissive about their chances to win, I would say that your chances to beat Ohio State, unfortunately, are not as much in your control because Notre Dame playing at its peak and Ohio State playing even maybe at normal is still an Ohio State win. You would need a, a subpar Ohio State performance to be able to give yourself a shot to win, especially in the horseshoe. And like you just mentioned, like, okay, so maybe Ohio State comes out flat. Well, let's go to the Rose Bowl that you just mentioned. Ohio State came out flat. It looked <laughs> pretty damn near disinterested, and that was placing a good Utah team, which, of course, was without plenty of players of its own. But what happened once Ohio State flipped the switch and started playing? They looked pretty damn good. And that's receiving yards by <laughs> one person. Yeah. yeah. So it's like even if Notre Dame gets off to a good start, it's still Ohio State, and it's still going to be at home. And if it gets its act together, like when Ohio State plays well, there are very few teams in the country that are capable of beating it, period. Yeah, I mean, and look, I have Notre Dame as a top ten team, mm-hmm. and I fully expect them to lose to Ohio State. I mean, they won't be ten to one, but they'll probably be like plus four hundred, plus four twenty five, maybe as far as on on the money line odds. Ohio State also, they do have to replace a good bit along the defensive line. They have recruited fairly well on that side of the ball, uh, but where they have a whole lot of experience is is defensive back and linebacker, right? Um, they return all five of their top defensive backs as far as snaps last year. And um, Tanner McAllister transfers in, who was an all-Big 12 corner, I believe, twice, uh, or safety, rather, at uh, um, at Oklahoma State. They have a new defensive staff who we think will be an upgrade, but, of course, it is just game one. Uh, the chat's saying Avery Davis is back, so I'm going to check my notes on that. I, I might be wrong on, on Avery Davis being out. Uh, if so, I apologize. That's actually pretty helpful, I think, to, to not lose not lose your slot for the Irish. Um, and I think the big thing is that we know, uh, you know, that we know who is, is going to replace some of these guys, right? Who do you, for Ohio state? Yes, exactly. Yeah, like, they lose Garrett Wilson. They lose, they lose Olave. They, they lose Jeremy record, but we already know the guys behind these dudes are studs who would probably start for Notre Dame. You know, that's, that to me is a difference. Okay. So do you have your, um, Notre Dame spreadsheet pulled up right now, bud? It sounds like, you uh, I do, yeah. Okay, so the season opener is against Ohio State. Uh, 
you know, you guessed, what was it? 10, 14, 17 points, maybe like plus 425 on the money line. What about the season finale, Notre Dame at USC? USC so, like, from any handicapping or power ratings perspective, there's going to be some difficulties in trying to figure out how you're going to assign a number to this group. But do you, how, do you, how would you handicap that game uh, as we sit here in February? So, I mean, I, I think Notre Dame is, it is at USC. Correct. But, like, I would have them by 12 right now. I think USC's defense is, is probably trash. Oh, interesting. Like, and they have not done much to to fix that defense. Like, the, the USC's defensive transfers, uh, where are they? Right? Like, I don't, mm-hmm. and I don't think the guys they took in the transfer portal on the defensive side are really all that special. Um, I do think Buckner will start for Notre Dame. By the way, like I'd be surprised if True Prime beats him out, but I, I think you gotta, you know, you gotta have the quarterback battle there. Um, I mean, at least you still have Tommy Reese. Like the, yeah, you know, you, you, you he knows exactly what he's got in all those quarterbacks, and goodness, they they figured out some ways to piece it together for some wins last year. Um, wasn't always pretty, but they 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 found ways to come up victorious. Also, Notre Dame is getting another super senior back that. I, I think I missed on my sheet. Um, Houston Griffith is apparently coming back. So that would help. All right. What about uh, let's they, they, their roster? The way they do it is incredibly annoying, by the way. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to complain about Notre Dame, but like they don't list the guys by eligibility. They list them by this academic nonsense. Yep. And like, I'm not saying they don't go to class. They clearly do. And it's a good school, but like, please change your depth chart to how the rest of college football operates. You're going to tell Notre Dame. Notre sure. Dame, independent ass Notre Dame to go and bend to the rest of college football. They didn't you know, invent the sport, and they certainly didn't invent the death chart. You know, it needs I, to hell, happen. I have a Notre Dame guy. Look, I mean, <laughs> like that. I, I, I'm That's all about sweet. Notre Dame. What we yeah, need, what we need, is Notre Dame players to go into the athletic director's office one by one and put their jerseys on the desk and demand that they change the depth chart. <laughs> It's I've, I've heard that works to get your way within mm-hmm. the Notre Dame football program. If mm-hmm. every person in the team goes and puts their jersey on the desk, then we can get our way, and we Just can finally for fix Bud. For Notre Bud. Dame's depth charts for, for Bud. Bud. For Bud. <laughs> for Bud. <laughs> Hashtag for Bud for all your Notre Dame, uh, all your Notre Dame interest this year. Uh, you just mentioned the, the transfers. One team we've talked about a lot with. Um, uh, with the transfer portal this year has been Brian Kelly's LSU team. Uh, mailbag question. LSU has brought in a giant wave of transfers this offseason. It makes sense as a way to plug holes on a roster that had serious problems for a brand new coach that didn't have much of a chance to work in the traditional recruiting cycle. But is this really a good thing for this team? Typically, LSU isn't recruiting a bunch of guys who go to Missouri or East Tennessee State. Are these guys at least on average any good? Or is this really just a band-aid for a team that's going to need a couple of recruiting cycles to get the roster in position to compete again? I think LSU did a really nice job in the transfer portal. Like a, a really nice job. Um, but they... What are you starting from here is, is an issue for me. Like, like how good will these guys be for you is partially determined by like how good is your actual roster coming back, right? Um, because some of these guys would start for like an average SEC team. Last year, LSU was not an average SEC team. They were like far below it 
right? And they've played poorly for two years. I mean, we we talked to Bill about this. Um, you know, like that. Get him a Kai Wingo from Missouri. I think is really nice. Big, I mean, that, yeah. That's a, yeah, like he was all AC or all, all SEC freshman team, right? And he up and transfers. You know, they, they get Jarek Bernard, who I know we actually like better now than we did coming out of high school, right? From from uh, from Oklahoma State to LSU. You get Fields, the, the, the backer from South Carolina, who could be a depth piece, could start. You get Greg Brooks from Arkansas. Like they, they took two guys from Arkansas who I thought were solid players from Arkansas and Greg Brooks and, and, and Joe Foucha. Miles mm-hmm. um, Frazier is a guy that I know different staffs had different opinions on. He was a, a multi-year starter for FIU at the offensive tackle spot. Um, I assume he'll play tackle for them. Not completely sure on that. I know some staffs liked him better. Than other staffs did. LSU's had some real, real struggles along the lines of scrimmage in the last two years, which is weird for having a coach like Orgeron, who you know, prided himself as far as an O line, you know, O line guy. Noah Kane. Uh, I mean, I love Noah Kane. I, I, I interviewed, like, I'm probably biased here. I interviewed the guy a lot of times you know, when he was at IMG. Really nice kid, but not the same player post injury, mm-hmm. at least in his stand at Penn State. So we'll have to see, right? Maybe he bounces back and finds another level. Maybe he doesn't, but they've done a nice job. We have them as a, as a top five transfer class, despite Lane Kiffin, you know, trying to dunk on them. And see, that's the thing. Like with fans, are going to have to adjust with this transfer portal era. It's like being ranked highly in the transfer rankings is cool and all, but if you're there because you've got 13 transfers, it's probably not great. Because, I mean, like the reason LSU's ranked so high is because it had so many holes to fill. And it had to right. because it lost so many players to the portal going the other direction. And you've got a new coach coming in. So, like, it's it's not really a situation you want to be excited about. Like, I'd rather have a, cl- a class of two transfers who are both, like, really good players than have 13 kind of, okay, this guy's depth. But this is a, more of a need, necessity kind of situation than, you know, a, a luxury. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think Mikai Wingo's a really good addition. I think that. Greg Brooks is a good addition. I think West Weeks is a great name. I don't know if he's going to be his player, but it's an awesome oh, I like him a lot, actually. Uh, I thought that was a steal. Yeah, he was at Virginia. So uh, do we? what position was he playing at Virginia, though? He was doing some, like, safety linebacker stuff. Okay. So, But it's it's just one of those things. It's like, you know, transfers, I feel like now, especially, too, because it's still kind of new and cool, like, they get overinflated in the minds of fan bases. Like suddenly a guy leaves a school and comes to your school and he's a better player than he was. And that's not usually the situation. He's usually there's flaws. There's reasons he's leaving for most of these guys. So if you're LSU, this class is pretty much just to fill holes. I think for the most part, to make sure you have enough bodies this spring and in the fall, getting ready for the season. I think also too, I think there's more of a culture problem than a roster problem. I think the roster will sort itself out over the year or two, but I think they need a little bit more discipline, a little bit more tighten things up a little bit. And I think when I say culture, I think of a program that won a national championship in 2019 and that hangover from that was like still lingering. Like they need to flush that out, bring some hunger back of, man, we got to put in the work. Like we can't just show up because we have a bunch of four and five stars. We got to put in the work. We got somebody who will lead us there. So, and then aside from that, like, again, it always comes back to quarterback. Like if there was a splash at QB, maybe make a little bit more uh, significance for me as a difference maker, that would bump up the entirety of the whole class. But I agree with all everything you guys are saying so far. I mean, some of these guys, 
aren't even listed second. You know, most of them are second or third on the depth chart right now. Now, I know you still have spring to go, but the, to me, that goes to the talent that's already there. Just needs to be developed, needs to mature, and needs to kind of get coached up a little bit better. A rings culture says that LSU's good. They've got a quarterback with the national championship ring. You know, you got to trust that. He had a, Miles Brendan had a lot to do with that 2019 LSU national championship season. There's only two SEC quarterbacks that are projected to start that have national championship rings. It's Stetson Bennett and Miles Brennan. And so any ranking of SEC quarterbacks, according to rings culture, you got to take They're winners. Okay. They have national championship rings. So you have to be able to consider them a bonus. Okay. I, I, Shocker. I, I can go sunny side on this. I can go a little bit more optimist on this. There is an example recently where I think that the influx of transfers, one in particular, uh, has really been able to solidify a college football team in a rapid way. Michigan State went two and five during the pandemic shortened 2020 season. They welcomed in 18 transfers for, to the team heading into 2021. It wasn't all of your leaders in the statistical categories. Obviously, Kenneth Walker III coming in from Wake Forest becomes an absolute superstar, but it's a lot of guys who end up ranked like fourth on the team in tackles. Guys who end up ranked you know, fifth in tackles for loss. Uh, a backup offensive lineman or a rotational player. Somebody gets hurt, that's someone you lean on. I think Michigan State's success this past season uh, is an example of how one of these big time programs that can be very attractive to players from other either other power five players that are maybe rotational and can can be solid or, you know, in the East Tennessee State example, some some real stars from lower levels, group of five or FCS come up. They're not going to be the ones that are leading you to wins, but enough of the right ones fitting together. And again, a lot of credit for me goes to Mel Tucker for being able to make that work. But that is, if you're an LSU fan and you're wondering about this transfer portal hall and what it can mean for on-field success immediately, I think you look to Michigan State and you hope that you can have similar results. It doesn't always work out that way, but at least that's one example from recent Power 5 college football. There's a key difference, though. What is the key difference? Mel Tucker had a season with Michigan State before he went and got all those transfers. Mel Tucker knew his roster. Brian Kelly and his coaching staff are kind of coming in blind and just seeing, oh my God, look at all the holes on this team from all these kids that left after Orgeron and the night before I got here. We've got to fill spots. The desperation to it? I wouldn't even call it desperation. I'm just saying the lack of familiarity. Like when Mel Tucker and that staff hit the transfer portal, they knew exactly what they had, exactly what they needed, and exactly what they were looking for. LSU does not have the same amount of, the new coaching staff there does not have the same kind of data of its own team that Mel Tucker and that staff did. And even so, all credit to Mel Tucker and the Spartans for doing a great job there, but that's going to be an outlier. Like, you're not going to see a lot of schools just adding 15 players and then having a great season because of it. Also an outlier in a couple other ways, right? Like, we all liked Michigan State, I think, in the preseason. I mean, like, their their win total number was like four to start. Remember, and we were like, look, mm-hmm. they're going to go to a bowl. And, like, we were kind of driving the Michigan State bus. And Michigan State got there easily and had a great year. Hell, they went to the Peach Bowl. Right. But they were also ex- an extremely lucky team uh, last year. W- one of the you know most lucky teams in the country. Probably, like, I think I had them for 2.7 luck wins. Right? So they were very much, you know, they, their, their record was far better than the quality of their team. And that's an easier league. Not a ton easier, but definitely easier uh, to be in. So 
if you took the Michigan State level transfers and you dropped them on LSU, it is not going to have the same impact that it did at Michigan State because relative to the competition level they're playing, it's not quite as good. Good point. All right. Uh, we Go ahead. No, nope, I was just going to make a joke. It was a stupid joke. Go. I want to hear a stupid joke. I was going to say, but what Michigan State didn't have is a national championship winning quarterback. So. That's true. That's right. That's true. You know, they tried. They thought they were going to be able to bring in uh, the pride of Temple football, Anthony Russo, and that was going to make everything work. And that wasn't even the answer. Um, all right, uh, we have we we've discussed this uh, a, a few times, I think, offhanded, uh, but we get new listeners every single episode. We've got new fans, new members of the Cover Three family every single week, and I I don't mind running this back because it's a it's a it's a illuminating um, thought especially when we look back on the history of a, a great program of which this crew has a lot of familiarity. Rob asks, love the pod guys. If there was a playoff beginning in the 1980s, how many playoffs would Florida State have made and how many titles would Bobby Bowden have? Love the show and go Knowles. Also, I love the Knoll cast. Right. There so we when go. we talk about all those top four finishes... That means that there would have been opportunities to be able to go and play it out against the other top four teams. Yep. Danny. I had, so I came up with a number. I'll be curious to see what Bud says. I think, so Coach Bowden finished with two, 93 and 99. I think he would have finished with five. I think there are three teams in there, all different eras, that would have, if given another opportunity, would have won the national championship. And one of those I would have been a part of but not as the starter. My freshman year, when we lost, uh, we had, we had one loss. So I looked back and I kind of went with the one loss teams. And I didn't, mm -hmm. like, my thing is, if Randy Moss was playing, we would have won a national championship. There was not, like, no other, like, that would have just been it. Um, but the other years, and I didn't even, I didn't even look at the how many times you would have made the playoffs, which I think would have been even higher. Um, but I think... The 92 team that I was a part of, we lost on a wide right, one of the first uh, first ones, which I actually held the kick. It was a close loss to Miami. Um, but we actually ended up beating Nebraska in the Orange Bowl to finish the season. And Charlie Ward was a, a first-year starting quarterback early in the season. Comes in, struggles, throws a bunch of picks. They actually played me some that year. Like I got to come in for a few series, and I was totally green, was not ready. But then Charlie Ward got his sea legs under him. They started running the no huddle, running the up-tempo, the fast-break offense, and it was a completely different-looking team. So I think at the end of the year, Charlie Ward would have been capable of leading that team, and the defense was clearly good enough where you could have had back-to-back -back titles with Charlie Ward, 92-93. So I had one there. I had one back uh, in 87 or 88. One of those two teams, I think, would have gotten it done. And then 96 or 97, there were two, like, so two separate times. I had the one loss, you know, finishing with one loss teams, if given another ch a chance, winning one of those. So I thought five, three additional was on the low side, not the high side. Like, I think minimum he would have gotten three. So five total. Um, I agree with most of that. I, I mean, the range is so wide. Like, you could say two more, you could say six more. You know, I, I, I liked the uh, taking the idea of how the team performed in the bowl game as like one of my like triggers on whether or not I flipped it. Like if if, yeah. I, if you lost that bowl game, then I'm guessing that while you might have been one of the four best teams, 
you might have lost in the semifinals. And so I don't know. I don't I didn't mean to cut you off, but I thought that was a fun way to approach it. Where I ended up with, to your point, like 87, 88, 92, 97. And if you wanted to say 96, you said 96 or 97? Uh yes. 97 or 98. 90 uh, I wrote 96, 97. Yeah. So like in obviously the odds are not that you're gonna convert every one of those, but I think that in a playoff uh format, uh any one of those, yeah. So I guess I would have four additional for Florida State. So uh, um I had 11 appearances, right? And these are – they were either undefeated in a regular season uh, or they had one loss but were uh, top three entering bowl season. So 79, 80, 87, 88, 92, 93, 96. I didn't give them 94, Danny, because they, they had the tie and the loss. That was why and, I didn't count that either. That but they, but they, with, the, with the tie and loss, they still finished as a top four team. Uh, because they they won the the Sugar Bowl uh, that year, um, 98, 99, and 2000. So I, I would say 11 appearances. You know, how often do you win it? I don't know. Like they were a pretty damn good team for a long, long time. So I don't know, maybe, maybe you cash four of those 11. I mean, Alabama's conversion rate, whether they make it or not, after last season was six out of 12. Yeah. I mean, so maybe five out of 11, like, like Danny was saying, is not unrealistic. Okay, well, how many of the titles that you have do you lose because of a playoff? Because now you've got to play two games to win it instead of just being Well, you could lose 93. See, just saying, there's two sides to this coin. We would have. I don't think there's any way you got the Knowles in here just claiming all these national (laughs) titles. Like, yeah, we'd have won like 15 more. Yeah, you might have lost some too. You you could lose 93 because Notre Dame beat you. Mm -hmm. Now, if you rematched them, you know, on a neutral. or depending on the surface, obviously, but back then Notre Dame was a better team for, for a lot of that year. So obviously like you can't really argue that. I don't think I would have given them 96. I think, I think Florida was, was a better team in 96, you know, like they played twice one time FSU beat them by a narrow margin. The other time Florida smoked them. Now they had food poisoning, whatever. Uh, but I mean, 11 playoff appearances is pretty, pretty nuts. good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously like, you know, that's like 10 in 20 years and 79. It, it, hell, like nine in, in a span of, of 14 years. Yeah, even Were you so like hot 11. and bothered? You just had to bounce, Danny? You, no, just, I you think, think they win more, 93 think, for sure? What's that? If, it, who else would they have had to play in 93? Like, assuming that you rematch Notre Dame. I'm trying to think. I have to look back at the top 25. Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah, Nebraska was always right in the mix, too, and they had Tommy yeah. Frears. That was a tough out for us running that triple option. That one maybe does come more. I, my comment, I don't know if you guys heard it, but if we would have got a rematch with Notre Dame, I think we would have smoked them. I think we would have had the – and playing in better weather, not with four-inch high grass where they tried to slow us down. <laughs> yeah. In South Bend, if we were on a neutral field, like I think we would have smoked them. Got to overcome so. the adversity, Daniel. <laughs> I, th- I think Nebraska – if if we had had the four-team playoff during this era – Yeah, Nebraska might have had Nebraska a whole lot Nebraska would more. be in every single one. Yeah. It's like Florida State, Nebraska, Florida State, Nebraska, and then everybody would talk about how we need to expand because yep. the same teams just keep making it every year. You would have had <laughs> – Two right. rematches, too, by the way, because Auburn was postseason ineligible, so and they finished fourth in the AP. So you would have likely had to play like the final four for that year: FSU, Notre Dame, Nebraska, skip Auburn because they'd be postseason inel- ineligible due to sanctions. Five was Florida. That'd be wild to play like two rematches in the yeah. playoff of teams you've already played. 
Yeah, it was like if um, Ohio State had beat Oregon and we would have had Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Michigan all in the uh, the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. I'm reasonably confident that you do not lose 99. Yeah, undefeated, like, wanky, I mean, work. They had, they had so much talent on that team. Yeah. And the um, defense was stacked too. Yeah. But then that's probably it. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the rest of the way – because the, the the line is always what eighty seven to two thousand, yeah. The consecutive top four AP finishes, stupid, absolutely bananas. So yeah, this even if the college football playoff had been around uh, in this hypothetical, we would be screaming about expansion because the mm-hmm. same teams keep getting there, mm-hmm. and we'd be wondering what we can do to provide more access. College football. We t- we opened the show talking about the health of college football. Co- college football is always. Uh, like always had a little bit of a cold. It's but been a just, mess. It's yeah, always a beautiful disaster. That's what college yes. football is. It's just a beautiful disaster. That's what yes. it is. Yeah. Co- college football is really good at powering through with uh, you know a little bit of ibuprofen and uh, a lot of, lot of water. Figure out a way to get through it. <laughs> uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. If you would like to get your question in in a future mailbag episode, go and leave us a five-star review. And in that review, put your question. We'll add it to the big old bag of mail. New time for Mondays. Mondays at 3. I've now become Mondays at noon. So noon Eastern time live on Monday. Make sure that you uh, adjust your calendar. And hey, you know what's even better? Just smash the notifications at youtube.com slash cover three. You'll get an alert anytime that we go live. So we will be back again. New Monday time, noon. Noon Eastern time on Monday, youtube.com slash cover three or wherever you get the cover three podcast. Gentlemen, thank you very much. See you at noon on Monday. Noon.